0: The executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Lynn Reeves Griffin to the podcast this week. Lynn is an internationally recognized family counselor, public speaker, teacher, and writer of fiction and nonfiction. Her work has appeared in Parents, Cognoscente, Psychology Today, Solstice Literary Magazine, Chautauqua (laughs) Journal. You're going to have to help me pronounce that. Um, Craft Literary. Fiction Writer's Review, and more. Lynn regularly appears as a media guest expert to discuss contemporary family life and preventative mental health. Writing as Lynn Griffin, she is the author of the family-focused novels, Life Without Summer, Sea Escape, and Girl Sent Away. She writes novels of domestic suspense as Lynn Reeves with The Dangers of an Ordinary Night and Dark Rivers to Cross, published by Crooked Lane Books. Welcome to the podcast, Lynn. Thank
1: you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you.
0: Well, I am looking forward to hearing about the dual personalities Mm -hmm. with the two different names, Uh, but let's start this the way I always start these podcasts. When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel?
1: I told myself that I wanted to write a novel when I was 40, and the reason why I waited that long was because lots of different efforts along the course of my life have veered me away from creative pursuits, and when I hit 40, I said, wait a minute, these creative pursuits are who I am, and it's how I'm hardwired, and if I don't start writing now, when will I? So I would say that, you know, one of those questions we often get in the writing world is, you know, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? And I would say that I actually didn't know that I wanted to be a writer, but I've always known that I was a storyteller and I was a storytelling child and a storytelling teenager and an actress in high school and college. Uh, So it's storytelling that's, that's sort of in my DNA. And 40 is when I decided I would put those stories to paper.
0: Well, and I love the idea that your life up until then hadn't been encouraging of those pursuits because you wrote nonfiction, because you're a counselor, and, and all that sort of skill building that you'd been doing for your entire career.
1: That's exactly right. And you know what's really funny is that even in those pursuits, story was still at the heart of what I was right. doing because, as a family counselor, as you can imagine, People speak in story and they come to you with the story they tell themselves, which is sometimes accurate and sometimes mm-hmm. not. Uh, mm-hmm. And what the counselor does and the role that I play is to listen to that story for themes and to listen to that story for conflict and to help people gain perspective. And of course, that's the job of a fiction writer as well.
0: Right. Right. Fascin- I mean, what a fascinating skill set, too, because as a counselor, you also can see when the narrative doesn't make sense or when there's something missing, <laughs> um, which is also helpful in writing fiction, um, though a little more challenging, I think, when you're doing it to yourself. Yes. So when you said at 40, I want to write a novel. Why writing a novel? Was that the, was that that how you were going to use your creative energy? I mean, you said you'd been an actor earlier. There are other things. Why writing a novel?
1: I had a story in my mind that was about that kept percolating and kept speaking to me, and I didn't quite know what else would I do with it. I don't paint. Uh, well, I paint, but clearly no one's ever going to see what I paint. Uh, uh, but I, I didn't have any other way to pursue it. There was, I was not acting currently at the at the mm-hmm. time, and I really didn't know where else would I put this story that kept nagging at me. And so it felt very intuitive that it would have to be on the page. But I didn't know how to write, so I put myself in the position to learn. I, Mm -hmm. uh, joined a writer's group. I did, I read every book on craft I could get my hands on. And I thought, well, you know, I've taught myself to do lots of things in my life. I can teach myself to do this. Now, of course I was quite naive at the time because it's not that simple an effort and it really does build over the course of a body of work. Uh, but I, you know, my naivete was, was a good thing, I suppose, because it had me start.
0: And when you started building that craft and, and joining a writers' group and taking um, classes, what what drove you forward, or how did you build up the craft? Because as you said, it's writing is a uh, skill that builds over time and over projects. I mean, you know, you could keep writing the same project forever, and it's not going to get better because you you don't know how to fix it. But you go on to the next one, the next one, the next one. So how did you build up that? The, the skills? I mean, what were there specific classes, specific books, specific exercises?
1: I would say that there's really two parts to how I persevered. And I think the first one was that I recognized that it was complicated. It was both an art and a science, and I actually didn't know what I was doing. So if I don't know what I'm doing, then that means I need to be open to people who do know what they're doing. So again, part of the writing group, what was wonderful about that was that it was very clear when I did something well and when I didn't because I didn't know what I was doing. And I was open to hearing that. And at the same time, I was serious about my craft. So if I didn't know what I was doing and I needed to figure out how to do it, I wasn't going to make the same mistakes over and over and over. So if people said to me, for example, there's no conflict in that scene, oh, Lynn, by the way, there's no conflict in this scene. And the next week, there's no conflict in this scene. Well, clearly I needed to get serious about the fact that there was no conflict in (laughs) some of my scenes, which meant I obviously needed to learn something new, learn more, do better. So it's that whole idea of be open to what people are telling you, but then you got to go do something about it, right? So it was a combination of listening and learning, listening and learning, and that's what perseverance means to me.
0: I find it inspiring to hear that you were willing to fail after a life of success, um, which is, is what you're saying. I mean, you're willing to publicly within this writer's group fail um, on a regular basis in order to get better. That is a hurdle that a lot of people can't get past Um, and, and it is necessary in creative pursuits. You said you were an actor before, you're also a counselor. What, what helped you build up that resilience and that belief in, the fact that that discomfort was going to get you where you wanted to go.
1: The discomfort getting me where I wanted to go is absolutely right. So it's that idea of failing, but failing better, right? I'm not going to fail at the same things. I'm going to fail at different things because I'm getting a little bit better. But what I would say helped a lot was that, you know, I mentioned that I feel like I'm a storyteller and in theater, what's really terrific about theater is that, It is a collective creative pursuit. One actor wants to help another actor get better because then the whole piece of work is better. You know, Mm -hmm. in theater, you often finish rehearsing a scene and then you get notes from the director on what's working and what's not working. And so you have the opportunity to keep adjusting the performance. Well, I think writing being a solitary endeavor doesn't lend itself to that unless you're open to trusted readers giving you notes, if you will. And so I was open to that. I figured, hey, I'm not going to be able to figure out what's not working because I don't have any perspective. So clearly I need to surround myself by talented, insightful writers that are also serious that will be able to tell me point blank, here's what's wrong with it.
0: Yeah uh i i've worked in theater for many years um i was an arts administrator and, and you know part of the process for a long time and you're exactly right it is a collaborative um you know both front and backstage nice. we're going to do this together and we but we do need a perspective we need somebody to to help us make it better <laughs> we've all worked on productions we're that perspective was missing, and it didn't work the way you wanted it to. But I, I still think it's not an easy skill to to develop. The confidence, um, you know, Samuel Beckett called fail you know fail, try again, fail better. I mean, it's it's um, it's a tough thing at midlife to to take that on. Did did failure ever enter your mind?
1: There were periods of time for sure when.
0: Certain projects
1: wouldn't go where I wanted them to go, and so there was sadness with not being able to break through with that piece of work, and and you know sort of meet a brick wall in the publishing landscape, even if I felt that creatively the piece worked. Uh, that is part of it, and and I guess I, the way that I describe that is there's a sadness. Um, but that also is motivating. I mean, I sort of look at emotions as motivating and anyone who knows me knows that I'm, I don't label them as good or bad. They're just all data, right? They all give you some bit of information that you need. And so I get a little bit stubborn. If something isn't working, I'm going to keep pushing or I'm going to change it until it does. And that's how I handle the rejection side of this. Um, Mm -hmm. but I also really believe that, I can get better book to book to book, essay to essay, article to article, if I'm open to those things. And I think maybe it's the mindset that I have about living my life, which is that I want to make it meaningful for every day that I've got. And if that means I'm going to be open about what's not working so I can fix it, then that's the way I look at revision. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it is a skill to hone in our entire lives. I don't think it's just related to writing. I think it's related to our whole lives, which is being open to the fact that if you want to do this, it's really hard and it's also really rewarding.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you started writing fiction, um, literary fiction, more, you know, a different different pursuit and you wrote three books. And so talk about those. And then we're going to talk about how you've segued into crime. Sure,
1: sure. <laughs> So as a family counselor, really all of the things that sort of are on my mind on a regular basis, whether it's my family or anybody else's family is the interpersonal relationships where we're not being authentic. We're not allowing our vulnerability. We're not sharing those deep struggles. And so really at the core of my work, regardless of genre, that's what's present, is that psychological look at relationships and some of the undiscussable grief that that Mm -hmm. our society doesn't really give us space to look at. And Mm -hmm. so I started writing uh, what was general fiction or um, upmarket fiction, book club fiction, some of these kinds of terms. Uh, But to be honest, I didn't set out to write any particular genre. I just set out to write my stories. The first novel, Life Without Summer, by some folks was considered a mystery, even though I didn't write it as a mystery. But clearly at the center of the story was a woman on a quest to find out who had hurt her child because she felt like her grief would be made better if she knew. And of course, that's the underpinning question is, is that true? The mm-hmm. more information we have, does that change grief of any kind? Uh, but it was her on a quest to figure out who had who had done this terrible thing. So it was the heart of the mystery, quest, searching, seeking, was always present. Uh, and then my next novel was still an examination of family dynamics and my third one as well. And by the time I got to my fourth novel... Our world was pretty darn crazy. Uh, We could argue that it's either as crazy or crazier since I wrote The Dangers of an Ordinary Night, but nonetheless, the stakes and tension and conflict of that novel was really amped up. And again, much to my surprise, labeled domestic suspense when, to me, it's my same DNA, but with style turned up. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and dark rivers to cross, same thing. So, I've landed squarely in domestic suspense, not because I've changed, but I think because the world's changed and the the tension and stakes of my stories have gone up as has much of our lives. Uh, and so here I am, and it's it's working pretty well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here for a bit.
0: And you changed names or you, you, you embraced, um, you know, another part of your name. Um, Was that a marketing decision uh, when you signed the new contract so that they could promote you as a debut or a new author?
1: Actually it was. So I went under submission for both novels as Lynn Griffin. My full name is Lynn Reeves Griffin. And when I do my uh, public speaking at schools and, mental health conferences and the like, I'm Lynn Reeves Griffin. So I wrote fiction under Lynn Griffin and then suddenly I'm in this category out on submission and people say these books are markedly different than the previous uh, upmarket book club type fiction. We think that you should use an open pen name. In other words, use your networks, let everybody know that you're the same person And capitalize on all the relationships you've already developed. And at the same time, be very clear and forecast to readers that these are a little bit different. And that Mm -hmm. felt really authentic to me. So I had no trouble with it whatsoever. So if you go online to look for me, you'll find me under any combination of those three (laughs) names. (laughs) And that kind of works for me because I feel like it embraces the totality of who I am Mm -hmm. as opposed to, puts me in any particular lane. I know some people think of a pen name as putting themselves on one track or another. And I actually feel like for me, it embraces that I do more than one thing and I'm comfortable with that.
0: Yeah. What's your process like? Are you, you know, you've five published novels so far. Um, uh, you know, do you, come up with the world. I mean, you, you write standalones. Tell me what your process is like.
1: I always start with a particular character struggling with a social dilemma. And that really, again, runs the, right through all five novels, which is usually it's some type of grief experience that as a society, we don't dig into as effectively or openly as we could. For example, mm-hmm. The Dangers of an Ordinary Night, we looked at addiction and the role of the caretaker relationship. So what? how does that affect marriage? How does it affect parenting? Now, there's a good old crime twisty-turny story at the heart of it, uh, but thematically, it's about how do you deal with a partner who gets better and then doesn't, and gets better and then doesn't, right? The, the cycle of addiction. And Dark Rivers to Cross looks at, inherited trauma and what the experience of children witnessing violence early in their lives. But again, it's a twisty, turny river of a story. So what my process is, is I think about an issue that is really on my mind, something that kind of keeps me up at night. And I assign that social issue to a character who would struggle with it. And then I do research on the issue and what that would feel like to my characters and once I feel comfortable with the direction that I'm going to go with the plot of that story then I begin writing and I don't look at the research again I only use the research to make me knowledgeable enough that the character would experience the issue that way Uh, and then I let the story take over so I kind of feel like my stories are layered there's the psychological relational social issue Mm-hmm. on top of a plot that's twisty, turny, and full of stakes and tension, and I let those two things take off together. And it's it's really satisfying, and it feels very authentic to who I am now, so that's a process I think I'll stick with.
0: And the twisty, turny is that, That shift into the domestic suspense world. Um, Do you find that that has been liberating or fun for you as you've been doing it?
1: I think it's really liberating because what it allows me to do then is allow the story to meet the reader in a number of different places. If I can meet you in a place where you want a story that is a page turner and you want to really find out what happens next and that's where you want To live in your reading life, then it's there. If you want Mm -hmm. that and a psychological, why would they do that? Or what makes a person do that? Or, oh, do I know anybody who's doing that? Then it reads on that level as well. And so either way, I'm hoping the reader feels satisfied because there's more there for the taking, right? But it doesn't interfere. What I try really hard to do is not have the social issue or the character's um be preachy or have any you know definitive answers on how any of this ought to be managed because I'm not sure I believe there are any single right ways to do anything uh but again, it allows the reader to experience the book on whatever level they're most comfortable
0: and do you um uh, are, are, you do this research and I love this idea of the layers and then you don't look at it again. Are you a plotter, a pantser and in between, do you know where you're going in the novel? Like do you have the end in mind or are the characters taking you on the journey?
1: So I would like to be like an, I always do this, but I'm, I'm a little bit wary of doing that since as soon as I tell you that I won't have any idea where the next story begins or ends, but I usually know the beginning and I know the ending and i write towards that and i write towards it on two levels i write towards it with an action arc which mm-hmm. you know which we call the outside story the events of the story but i also write it through a through line for the emotional arc of the story or the inside story making sure that both the action and the emotional payoff at the end are equally mm-hmm. satisfying so a lot mm-hmm. of people say i don't tie my stories up in a bow but they land on hope and that's that's you know I think what I'm always aiming for.
0: And that's such an important um, thing for people to think about no matter what they're writing, is that emotional, you know, what are the stakes? What does the character really want? What's the theme? What's the, the goal? Um, and then the action's pulling you there. But but you, we need to understand and feel stakes. And that's what I would imagine. Your background as a counselor can help you build those stakes in, in ways that can really Um, push buttons for readers. Right.
1: And when I do any consulting with writers, whether it's I'm helping them with the manuscript they already have, or I'm coaching through a story, or I'm giving them feedback before they go to querying, what I will often bump into is that there's a lot of situation, but not a lot of complication. And by that, I mean there's situation, you know, character gets divorced or character uh, has to move because of their job. Well, that's really just a situation. We don't know how that's uniquely complex for that particular person. Right. And so a lot right. of times what I'll see in early drafts of manuscripts from writers is that they haven't quite figured out why this is a unique story for this unique character, even though the situation might be a universal situation. So, right. so that's where that inside-outside story really has to come in
0: play. Yeah. Why tell this story now? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you started with a writing group, and it sounds like you were lucky. Um, Not everyone is as fortunate, I think, when they're finding their writing group. Um, And you've, over time, evolved into teaching um, as well. Why do you wish you'd known early on, or what's the, the best advice you give your students, and and what's the advice that you wish nobody would say to a, a you know a writer who is on starting on this path?
1: Wow! So I would say, well, I did get lucky with that first writers group because everybody was really serious and everyone was open to feedback, and that is a rarity. Uh, what I would say though, and I would say this, whether people are thinking about getting a a counselor or whether or not they're going to join a writer's group, (laughs) it's the same advice, which is if it's not working, go to somebody else. Right. So uh, what I would say is if you join a writer's group and it feels like a rehashing, you know, or every single week people are showing up with cocktail napkins and say, I whipped this off in the parking lot. Well, then, you know, you're not really in one that there's people taking it seriously as much as you might want to take it seriously. I think you can get feedback from people in other genres because they have a perspective. So I think mm-hmm. a mixed genre group is often wonderful because it gives you perspective. But the serious piece is what I mean, which is, are people generating work regularly enough that they have material to present that's already been thought about and not just dashed off, but conceived, right? And then are they changing and growing and outside of the writer's group doing what they need to do to get better so that the next time they deliver pages, there's been some growth. So again, if yours wor- writer's group is not working, get another one and you don't have to offend anyone. You could just say, you know what, for my particular writing goals, this isn't my, this isn't for me. And that's it. You know. Um, I think why did I go to teaching? I'm a I'm a teacher at heart. I've taught at Wheelock in the Family Studies program at the graduate and undergraduate levels. I've done a lot of, you know, educational scholar work abroad. And so I'm a teacher at heart. So I think it was really inevitable that once I felt like I had something to say about writing, I would want to share it. Uh so I've been fortunate to teach in lots of places that have been really nurturing and I've met a lot of wonderful writers. Uh, And I do enjoy teaching for the sake of not just sharing what I know, but there's something wonderful about teaching is when you teach it, it reinforces what you know. Mm -hmm. And so being a teacher is a very reciprocal process of you get just as much as you give. And uh, so I love that part of it. What do I wish that I had known? I think I wish that I had known that... I wish somebody had told me that writing and publishing are two completely different things. And that writing is where the joy and the fulfillment is and that the focus should stay on writing. And if you want to get on that publishing track, great. But just know that it may or may not be as satisfying as the actual writing and that it's a job. It's a business. There are things you must steal yourself for. Uh and that the quiet of your office where you're creating the art is a very different place than being in the marketplace.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: okay that they're yeah. different. It's okay that they're different. Yes.
0: yes. But you can't equate your success as a writer with the publishing journey uh, necessarily. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. I think for me, one of the things somebody wise once told me, uh, was that you've got to always be thinking in your life. And this is particularly true of writing what brings you energy, what brings you joy. And there are a lot of things on the writing end that can give you energy and joy. And there are a lot of things on the publishing side as well, but you need to keep your focus on that because Mm -hmm. on the writing side, there's also you know challenges how do you fit it in um what happens if you're writing something that's deeply puts you in a deeply vulnerable place and you don't want to share it what do you do with it then um there's lots of things on the writing side that can become challenging as there are things on the publishing side which is that you don't have a lot of control over those measures of success because many of them are outside your your sphere of influence right uh and yet you can still feel successful
0: yeah um do you write every day? Do you, you know, have a regular practice? How do you how do you fit it into your your life, your busy life?
1: I think it I define writing very differently than some people. A lot of people equate writing with words on a page, and I actually don't because that storyteller in me has to do a lot of mental work before the words go on the page. So for me, writing is also Sketching characters, researching places, researching my issues that I'm going to examine, digging into character motivations, deciding structurally how the book will be put together. I have a particular fondness for crazy structures. Uh, the dangers of an ordinary night was based on theater, and so it's it's got lots of Easter eggs of plays and and there's a lot of <laughs> plays that are in the under frame of the work um, dark rivers to cross. I, I wrote it as a turbulent river where one minute you're in one current and the next minute you're in a cross current. And so I do love to play with structure. And so I give a lot of thought to how I'll structure each story for maximum, you know, robustness, if you will. So that's all writing to me. So I do write every day and it sometimes is a task related to a project. Like I'll sketch a story I'll outline a story, I'll, I'll examine a character, I'll read about a place, uh, I'll you know, talk to people who have interesting stories to tell me that I might pull tidbits from. Uh, but a majority of the time when I'm working on a first draft of a novel, I'm, I am in some way interacting with it every day, even if it only means I have enough time to read over what I wrote the day before. Uh, But I don't like to get too far away from a novel that I'm working on because then I have to keep trying to get myself back in it, uh, which is which is just making it all the harder.
0: When you talk about structure, do you um, write the first draft and and layer in structure where, you know, so if uh, all of a sudden in the middle of the, the novel, you say, oh, (laughs) <laughs> I've got to do this. Do you go back and fix or do you push forward and then and then go and revise?
1: I I always have my structure first because so much of it will hang on the balance. Like if it like with Dark Rivers to Cross for example, because I knew I wanted it to be a turbulent river, there was no going back. I had to figure out how to do that. Now, did I do it successfully on the first draft, second, third, fourth draft? No. Because I was doing something ambitious, it took many more drafts to get that to get that energy into the story. Uh, but then it needs to also be running in the background. So if you're reading the novel and you already know that I said, I built it as a river, you might see it more clearly, but I don't care if you see it. I just want you to feel like it's that propulsive, right? I want you to feel like you're in the white water, whether you know, you feel that way or not. Right. Um, so the structure has to be the underpinning. It has to be what I'm building the story on. So I'm finessing it all the way through, but I do know what it is.
0: And with your characters, as you know, you're approaching an issue or, or a subject or something that you're, you want that's waking you up. As you're thinking about that, does the character come to you who is going to help you create the story? Or do you need to say this, this would be a good story for a, you know, 35-year-old woman to tell? I mean, you know, where does where does the building characters come as you're figuring things out?
1: Well, it, I always have to try to find out that if this particular issue is the thing I want to go after, well, then who would struggle with that the most? What kind of person would have the most difficulty with that? What would have happened in that person's life that would make this the absolute worst thing to have to deal with? Because I can't be that nice to my characters if I want the piece to work. Um, because again, if the character is dealing with it brilliantly and they're a rather ordinary fellow, well, then that's not fiction. That's, <laughs> that's just, you know, that's really a situation. Um, so I have to figure out who's going to struggle with this the most. Who's going to uh, be most hurt emotionally if this is what they must contend with? Because therein lies the examination of our human condition, right? Is what do you do when that's the worst thing that could have happened to you specifically?
0: when you're writing these themes and and you've got these characters and you're, you're moving towards it, do you find that it takes an emotional toll on you as a person to be in this space? Or are you able to compartmentalize and and say, I'm, I'm going to, um, I'm going to leave it in the page. I'm going to leave it on the computer and then I'm going to go leave my life.
1: Uh, It's a little both. I would say Um, I do compartmentalize for sure, but I'm also, I'm also plagued with it, to be honest. I mean, usually I'm plagued with the issue enough that it it needs to go in a novel, and so I'm working some yeah. of it out there. Um, and when I'm writing a first draft, it's a bit consuming because I do get that middle of the night. This is everything that's happening in the story, and I, you know, feel like oh god, I just want to have a good night's rest. You know, so <laughs> so yes, yeah, sometimes my subconscious or unconscious is working at things when I wish. That they weren't, uh, but I do really feel that the process itself is therapeutic. It's 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 really mm-hmm. to examine what is one person's experience is still universal, right? Mm-hmm. So it helps me and it plagues me. I think it's it's really both. I think it's I think every writer would tell you the same thing, right? Because otherwise, what's the motivation to keep going back to the desk,
0: right? Right. Right. How long does it take you to to write a novel and how many drafts?
1: I've gotten better as time has gone by, and that's hopefully because I've learned a few things. Uh, It can take me, I would say, from idea to published novel five years, maybe a little bit less, but the publishing piece of things slows it down. You know, I think a lot of writers don't realize when they're not yet published that your book can literally be in production for a year to a year and a half. Uh, And very rarely is it less than a year. So you've already got to build that on from the time you had the idea and did the research and then got to the page and then did the revisions and then get it to production and then get it to the shelf. So, yeah, it takes it takes a while. So a lot of times people will see novels like these two that went back to back. The Dangers of an Ordinary Night and Dark Rivers to Cross published one year apart. But Dark Rivers to Cross took me 10 years to write and The Dangers of an Ordinary Night took me three. So it they came out in reverse order because one of them was done and the other one was almost done. But they do take longer periods of
0: time. So do you work on different projects concurrently. You must, I mean, if you're working on a novel for 10 years and another, you know, so are there points where I'll write a draft and then I'm going to go work on something else? How do you do that to yourself? Oh, do
1: that to myself. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I do work on more than one at a time and that's because they each require different things. So for example, right now I'm in a later draft of a novel and I'm in the research stage for another. So yes, I am working on them separately. But for example, I've now put the research when I was, I'm still touring for Dark Rivers to Cross and I'm not very generative in writing when I'm promoting a, a novel. So it's the perfect time for me to do more research because I actually can't get into that creative mode while I'm also promoting. So I'm working on the research novel. But then when I finish the tour... I'll go back to the novel that needs me to roll up my sleeves and get in there and do some revision. So, yes, I kind of toggle back and forth, but not without intention. It's always with mm-hmm. intention. So it's not like I've got, you know, three projects and I don't know which one to work on next. I They're in different phases in my mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you that's a... Um, a balancing act that I think also develops over time with the rest of the craft is being able to do that. Yes, Agreed.
1: I didn't in the beginning set out to do that. In the beginning, I did write a nonfiction book and a novel at the same time. But again, that felt very clearly two different projects. Right. Now the ability to work on two novels at the same time when they're in different phases is something that got honed. Over time. I wouldn't recommend that unless, again, a writer is super clear on which phase they're in and what kinds of things they're doing
0: at the time. Right. But sometimes contracts will also (laughs) tell you that you've got to do this in a little bit different way, which is something else that publishing, getting a publishing contract... You know, there's nothing as leisurely as that first novel and getting it out there. Once you start getting contracts, you know, it's not always your choice right. on how, how, how you're going right. to get and this And then done. when you're
1: promoting a, a novel, so for example, for Dark Rivers to Cross, I also was asked by my publicist to write a number of essays that supported the themes and ideas in the novel for placement in other outlets. So then now I'm like full on nonfiction writing about the themes and issues in the book, but it's still about the book, but it's not the book. So again, yeah. you know, this gets more complicated, and so you you really are forced to see things in terms of the art and the science.
0: And how do you... Uh how do you take care of yourself? How do you re- re- regenerate? Uh, you know, um, do you sleep? Do you you know pursue other creative endeavors? I mean, how how do you sort of renew?
1: So I am a big family person, and I'm so fortunate that my family lives around me. So uh, my children live nearby, and I have an adorable and. Very fun grandson. And so I spend time with them. When you're with a a little child, you really can't think of anything but what that little child wants. Like, how many games of Candyland are we playing today, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So that's a really good release. And um, I I love to read. I love to walk the beach. I live in a seaside town. Uh, So I'm fortunate to have some, some lovely places nearby, too, to kind of refresh. And, you know, I think what what came out of the artist's way by Julia Cameron is the idea of the artist dates. And I yeah. think that's so powerful, you know, go see art, go watch a, a show. That's, you know, a, a play or go see a dance show or, you know, check out a new painter or because these are the ways in which your creativity is fed. And, um, yeah. and so I love to do that too.
0: Yeah. What has surprised you most? We've touched on this a little bit, but what has surprised you the most about the publishing journey?
1: I'm a very positive person, so it's hard to say this, but I think what's most disappointing is that it's a poorly run business. It it doesn't operate like any successful business would, (laughs) like the idea that people just don't answer your emails or that, you know, somebody gets excited about a story idea and then it's crickets, you know, that just doesn't happen in my other realm. You know, Mm -hmm. other professionals answer emails and other people say yes or no to different offers of, 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 of of a proposal say. Um, so I think it's disappointing that it, it runs in my opinion, like a poorly run business. And of course, that's not to say all publishers, because many publishers do a very, very good job. And I'm fortunate to be with a publisher that does an excellent job. Um, but I think for a lot of writers, it, it's just, it's hard to navigate it. It just, it really doesn't operate like anything else we know. So that's about the most negative you'll get out of me. But, uh, I think that's my surprise. My surprise is that it doesn't actually have to run that way and it does, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I used to, I still teach arts management classes to theater students and I tell them that, um, you know, as, as challenging as the theater business is to learn, publishing is <laughs> makes theater look sane. So, you know, it is, it is. I mean, you don't get paid for six months to a year after, I mean, it's, it's you just. You don't
1: even find out if you're going to get paid for six to eight months at a time. <laughs> right. So you have no right. idea. What you will get paid after six to eight months until you get your royalty statements. And then it's a surprise. That is not how anything else in the world works. No, no.
0: <laughs> no. it isn't. It isn't. Um, it's a great business, but it's a heck of a, a, business. Heck of a business. That's um, the quote of the day. Heck of a business well we're you know being published is is lovely, and i mean not not everyone has that moment. How long did it take you from writing that first book to being published
1: so i I would say that my novel writing career took off pretty quickly, and then there was a period in between where it started getting tricky when the when the whole publishing industry started consolidating i had yeah. I had a little bit I had a sort of traditional path for my nonfiction, which was the first parenting book that I wrote did not get, I had an agent and I did not get published. The second parenting book, I got a new agent and I did get published. Um, so that one felt a little bit more like I really wasn't figuring out how to do this. And then I did with my novels. I did get published very quickly. I finished the novel, had my agent read it and it sold like right out of the gate. So I had early success there. But like I said, once the publishing industry started consolidating and everybody was buying up everybody else, um, I had a period of years where I didn't publish and that wasn't for lack of trying. So um, then I got my groove and found my right place and, and it's been great since. So I think, again, another lesson learned is you have to learn about the marketplace to know what your work, how your work will fit. And what the market will bear in terms of what you're writing, I think, surely, you can write a very quiet, speculative literary novel, but you're going to have a harder time publishing it in this landscape. It's just, it's, of course, you can write it, but you've got to know what the market can bear, and you have to adjust accordingly if you want to, right? If you want to.
0: Even if you indie publish, you need to understand what the market is and how you're going to position the book and everything else. Um, yeah, it's it's an important thing. So you're working on researching and writing a novel now. Just had a novel come out. And, and any idea when the next one, or are you still in the...
1: So the next one, I'm hoping, will be not 2023, but early 2024. So that would put it about a year and a half after Dark Rivers to Cross. And that novel is about the ways in which women come to motherhood. That's the psychological piece of it, which is I'm examining, you know, children in foster care, stepchildren, I'm examining families of every configuration. But of course, there's a domestic suspense story wrapped up in all of that. And um, that's the novel that I'm pretty. Fe- I'm feeling pretty close to ready to submit that one. And then the novel that I'm doing research on, it's, I'm still percolating with that. But I think what I want to examine in that one is the idea of families in which you feel like you're an insider or an outsider, and the idea of feeling like an outsider in your own family, and what what yeah. that dynamic does to the development of your marriage and your parenting and so forth. And again, that one's wrapped up in uh, another twisty, turny story that is, I hope, going to be set in Ireland.
0: I, I can imagine, uh, you know, as a counselor, <laughs> you help people, you're able to, to, you know, understand things and everything else. As a fiction writer, it must be... St- sort of fun to take this messy cold spaghetti ball and just add something to it <laughs> like just blow it all up because you can't do that with clients or with with your real real life but you can in your novels like all right now i'm going to even make it worse absolutely <laughs> and
1: it's also really interesting because i have a lot of collective voices and i need to pull it into the specific character that i'm choosing to examine the issue through so that my, co- my clients never feel like it's about them. It's, it's,
0: right.
1: it's so changed, but yes. the themes are the same. And that's sure. a great exercise. That is a really fun exercise is to make it so specific to that character that it belongs only to that character. And yet it's thematically on point. It's, um, one of my favorite quotes is the James Joyce quote in the particular contains the universe, right? Right. Yeah. And so I just love that quote because it's that's what a character needs to show us. And readers can then say, Oh my gosh, I'm just like her, or I know someone just like her.
0: Right, right, right. Oh, that's a great quote. Isn't it a good one? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, well, thank you for this great conversation and uh, you know, for your your insight and also for starting it with you know, I decided to do this and I was willing to fail and fail better. I, I, I just think that's a gift of a conversation for people. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I hope so. I think that if you have an urge to write, you should write. And you and you yeah. don't have to decide when you begin whether or not you want your work to land in the marketplace. You might decide. You don't. But at the point that you're beginning to write, it's about the writing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And expressing that's yourself. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lynn. This was a great conversation. My
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.